Me tūranga tira tātou, he tawira ki te motu, he tawira ki te ao. If we exude our tinoranga tiratanga, we're an example to our country, and therefore an example to the world. Enga iwi o te motu, tēnei te mihi kia koutou katoa. I'm Justine Murray. And I'm Maraia Rakaraku, and this is Te Ahikā on Radio New Zealand National. And for the next hour, we'll be giving you an insight into the Māori world and things that impact upon it. Last year, we were, well, pretty inspired after meeting Kraua Pākehā Robin Smith, whose introduction to Te Reo Māori began when a pamphlet came in the mail advertising free classes. We caught up with the octogenarian earlier this week and he entertained us with the innovative ways he's learning and memorising te reo Māori. I still had uh, a record at home uh, about that, so I, I sought it out and uh, played it through a number of times and managed to get down all, all the words. Uh, Peter Cape, uh, he, he was a popular... Uh, maker of uh, New New Zealand songs and and this one of course made uh, a great thing of this long place name and this thought that he thought in between each toot was tamata whokatangihanga kowa hawa tamate Over the past week, it's been impossible to avoid news of the death of one of New Zealand's best-known entertainers, Sir Howard Morrison. Two years ago, I sat in on a conversation between Morrison with fellow entertainer Tommy Todima and Waiata Kaitito Amere Karaka Narimu, where they spoke about each other's contribution to the music business. Well, he's he's in a category of his own, you know, uh, because... And he has a great following of Balangis, you know. Mm. They all go to his because he sings the songs from their era. And, you know, because with the, the quartet, they promoted a sound and promoted, you know, a society, really. Yeah. You know. Now, she has Maoris, we're familiar with each other's work. And we also have coverage from part of Sir Howard Morrison's funeral service before we close this week's broadcast with the tune he was known for, Fakaria Mai, How Great Thou Art. That's what's coming up this week on Te Ahika. First up. A few weeks back, we heard about their adventures in a red bus, travelling the country and asking Māori about the changes they were seeing in the climate. Henika Mako and Mike Smith are convinced survival of Māori into the next millennia, culturally, socially and economically, lies with Māori. Which, given our history, isn't exactly news to some Māori. However, the speed that climate change is taking place is creating a potentially desperate situation. Native species in this country are unlikely to be able to survive the changes of climate change. And... um, and he went on to explain that in the past, over the, over the course of the world, the Earth's history, there's been climate change before. There's been ice ages. There's been, you know, there's been um, a, a hotter, more greenhouse worlds in the past. But those things happened over a long, long period of time. It might have taken thousands of years. So all the plants and the animals and things had a chance to slowly evolve to the changing environment, and so they were able to 
to um, to adapt to adapt quickly. Yes, yes. but um, it's the speed of climate change. This well, it's current, happening in our lifetime. It's happening over a generation, and, and mm. so native species aren't going to have the ability to slowly adapt and to evolve to those rapid changes. So he painted a very very scary um, prediction of a world. In which, um, in the future, where you know the native species that are so dear to us, our whole environment um, may not may not survive, and so um, so of course we'd have to then be looking at um, different kinds of species from hotter countries, you know, to be introduced here, yes, food species. I don't know, you know, I mean, just the notion that the that the ngahiri is not going to be there in future generations is just almost unthinkable. It's hard to conceptualise that. But that's the picture that he painted, and you mentioned about Kaimana. Well, the uh, the oceans are becoming more acidic as the carbon um, enters the atmosphere. It uh, starts dissolving into the oceans, and uh, the scientists were telling us that um, that's going to cause acidification of the of the oceans, which in turn is going to affect anything with a carbonate shell. Now, a carbonate shell is like any uh, any creature from the sea that's got an exoskeleton that wears its bones on the outside, like a pipi, like a tohiro, like a kaura, anything like that. Um, the carbon is going to um, it's going to retard the ability of those shells to develop. It's going to eat away at them essentially, and they're going to be all soft. And if they're soft, well, that's their armour. And if they're soft, well, they're going to get gobbled up. And um, and of course, if you see a collapse in the food web, uh, in the food chain, if any level of the food chain is taken out, well, then it's a domino effect, and of course, everything, all the dominoes start falling. So they're predicting, um, well, not predicting, but one of the scientists talked about because um, they they go back and they they look what's happened in the history in the past, and they say, well, okay, 20 million years ago, there was a period. Uh, a global warming period similar to what we're experiencing now. So let's go back then and say, well, what happened the last time we had a global warming of this nature? So they go back and they look at the fossil record, and what the fossil record told them was that 85% of the species in the oceans just died. Huge, catastrophic collapse of marine life in the ocean. And there was only a few species that, that made it through, and they're the tupuna of all the fish that we have now. So, so, um, you know, so yeah, hundreds, thousands of species of of uh, sea creatures just just were wiped out, and of course, um, you know, I think um, the the oceans um, they provide a huge percentage of the protein for the populations of the world, particularly um, you know, indigenous people around the world rely on the oceans for for a huge amount of the, their daily protein, and so. Um, yeah, if that happens, well, we're going to be in serious trouble. Co-director and presenter, Hineka Mako. And I think one of the things that is compounding that specific take of the oceans and the kaimwana is that those resources are being depleted anyway. There are you know, issues around how much fish stocks are available for us to keep harvesting uh, globally. And in some areas, there's been huge effort to educate people about leave this type alone and start eating some of the other ones that was discussed last night by um, Murray Love. Uh, we have to get used to the idea that maybe we don't eat these types of ika anymore for a little while perhaps. To give that ika a chance to repopulate because they've just 
been harvested so much. And look at other eco that there are other species in the ocean who are, you know, living populous <laughs> and populating themselves because we don't eat them. And that's something that I know that's happening actually around England at the moment. There's a lot of research into why don't we as a as a culture think this is a very good fish to eat because simply they've been eating another kind of fish and then it's part of their, you know, the, the type of fish they use for their fish and chips is just one kind. Like, we have a few here, but um, but but looking at the other the other kind, um, like limpets, for example, they can make a soup out of limpets, but we don't, don't even look at eating them. <laughs> it's like, oh. <laughs> um, we eat the poo-poos. <laughs> True. So that's a, a part of the adaptation that's going to be necessary is, is changing our attitudes towards some of the things that we we wouldn't consider kai, but it is. Um, and the kai that we do have, um, and I'm going to put it out there, I'm going to say that the um, the farming industry, like we we don't need cows and sheep every day on our dinner tables. We can you know we can limit the amount that we farm in the country, and um, and look at alternative kai. Um, I'm going to promote lentils. Yes, but of course... <laughs> promote of course, lentils. Of course, that kind of message, you know, and, and there lies the problem, that kind of message doesn't go down with those industries. You know, if you're talking about, um, like, the farming industry, for example, I mean, I think the agricultural industry and, and farmers in this country have got a lot to answer for. In the making of the film, we um, all roads lead, lead to them in a, in a way. I mean, right from the, from the first settlers, you know, when the settlers came here and... Um, and they wanted our land, and they either, you know, they got it by fair means or fell, and if you didn't sell it, well, then they stuck a gun in your head and threw you off it. Um, that was for farming. So, I mean, that's where it started. Secondly, um, soon as, as soon as they got that, as soon as they got the land, the first thing they wanted to do was bowl all the trees off it. And, of course, the trees, um, they're the lungs of Papatunuku, and that's what, that's what scrubs all the carbon out of the air. So the, po- the the problem dates right back to you know like last century, and uh, and in terms of the you know the the conditions that have created c- climate change, so of course you've got de- deforestation on the land, all the trees being cut off, then you've got the introduction of um, you know the uh, farming species, the cows and the sheep, which we now know um, are the largest producers of methane. I mean this country has the dubious honour of having the largest methane um, uh, creation out of any country in the world. And it's not just carbon dioxide that's that's heating up the world or that's creating the problems, it's also methane. What's methane? Um, well, methane's a type of gas, and the gas is, um, is formed in the gut of um, cows and sheep, and, so, um, and it's not farted out, as people quite often think, but it's actually burped out. And uh, and so we we have the greatest methane emissions out of any country in the world, and so if we want to reduce our our emissions, we've got to look at the agricultural industry, and uh, on top of that, it's the dairy farms and it's the farming practices with the uh, with the uh, fertilisers and the nitrates and things that they're pumping onto the land that are poisoning our rivers. And it's all the runoff from the dairy farms. It's the nutrient-rich runoff that comes from the cow poo, if we could put it like that, that's going into the rivers that are um, that are polluting the rivers. And so on a whole lot of levels, it's the agricultural industry um, that lies you know, at the centre of a lot of environmental problems in this country. 
and yet that that's a very very powerful interest group within this country. Agriculture is um, you know that's the one of the major uh, sectors of our economy, and of course I guess this government, the national government, has traditionally been known as the farmers' party, and so of course. Um, and we've just seen it in recent times, you know, like with the emissions trading scheme. Um, it looks like the farmers are going to get a bit of a holiday where everybody else's, you know, other sectors of the industry are going to have to start stumping up and paying for their um, for their emissions. You know, if, if they emit uh, too much carbon or too much methane, they're going to be penalised for that and they're going to have to, um, you know, they're going to have to, uh, it's going to cost them money. But now, of course, we've seen that the farmers are going to get off the hook and be allowed... Um, you know, like a bit of a an emission tax holiday for a couple of years. And that's quite ironic because the climate scientists tell us that the farming industry is actually going to do well out of climate change over the next, perhaps the next two decades because a warmer environment means better growth in the short term. You know, it's not immediate doom and gloom. As the temperature goes up a couple of degrees, it's going to actually promote growth in... Um, you know the growth of um, of grass, um, and so they they actually stand to do well out of climate change, and uh, there'll be increased production maybe for a decade or two, but that's just going to be temporary. After that, of course, it's all going to turn to custard. But <clears throat> but in that period where they're being given uh, given a holiday, they're actually going to be benefiting from it anyway. So it appears to me, it seems to me that they don't, they're do not they one of the sectors that doesn't need a break. Um, if anything, they're, they're getting a double, they're double dipping in a, in a, in a way. I'm Mariah Rakraku, this is Te Ahika, and I'm talking with Mike Smith and Heneka Mako about their documentary, Climate Change in Aotearoa, He Ao Wera. One of the problems is uh, that we could do everything correctly in this country. You could have everybody putting away their cars and riding their bikes, um, you know, cutting down on their emissions, insulating their homes, planting gardens. We could do the right thing in this country and it wouldn't matter one iota because unless everybody around the world's doing the right thing, in one sense it doesn't really matter what we do here, you know, because we're only just a little country at the bottom of the world and it's not until some of the bigger countries in the world um, you know, start reacting and taking climate change seriously uh, that there'll be any hope of, um, you know, of, of, of slowing it down. So that's in, the, that's in the first instance. So the point I'm making there is that, is that world governments around the world are drag, uh, you know, aren't doing as much as they need to and our government is no different in, in that sense. Now Drilling down specifically to what's happening within within Aotearoa here and with the national government and and the Māori Party, well, the Māori Party's you know they're in an alliance with the national party, their partners, so there's a relationship there. So um, obviously they're going to work together on on things. And politics is a is a funny game. I'd imagine this is what I'd imagine that the Māori Party would be thinking: we can either sit down the back of the bus and 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 complain and and say that it's all wrong. And have and and our voice would just be the voice in opposition. It'll be ignored, you know. Essentially, if you're just down the back screaming, we don't like it. Well, okay, people will hear that, but uh, you won't be able to do too much about it because you won't be in power. So what they've chosen to do is to try and wrestle a degree of power, um, you know, from the system by getting into a coalition with National. 
And I'd imagine that they would have done the same if if uh, Labor had gone in. They want to be in a position where they can do some things. So there's trade-offs, you know, there's, 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 there's kind of trade-offs. And um, I guess you know, the recent decision of the Māori Party to reverse its position, because its position was that the emissions trading scheme doesn't go far enough, and they want to see a... Um, you know, a stronger uh, government um, stance on emissions in this country and particularly on the responsibilities of industry. But um, they've softened their view. They've softened their view, and there would have been a trade-off for that. Now, I don't know what that trade-off is yet. No one's actually said what that is, but it would have been something. So I guess it's a, it's just a decision. That the, it's, a political, it's a political game that they play. I wouldn't read... Um, too much. I mean, it looks bad for them. You know, it's not a good look, I'd say. But I wouldn't myself personally read too much into it. I think at the end of the day, the reality is that it doesn't matter who the government is, they're not going to do enough mm. about emissions. And it's really up to communities. It's up to people to, to um, you know, to, to, take, to take the steps necessary to adapt and to prepare uh, their communities. Because I don't believe... Uh, like I think in the future, if you've got water, if you've got kai, and if you've got your own energy, say if you're off the grid and you've got some form of uh, wind-generated or solar energy, just as a household, he rangatira koe. That's where your rangatira tanga is going to come practically, by having food security, by having water security, and by having energy security. Now, you're not going to get that from any government. No government is going to turn up at your place and dig your garden. No government's going to turn up at your place and guarantee that you've got water in your in your in your water tank. That's going to be up to each and individual family, Fano, Hapu, and Iwi, to ensure that their communities are, are self-sufficient in some of the most basic things. Mm. So um, I'm not pinning my hopes on the government. So I can already see that they're not doing enough, and, and I don't think they ever will, because, um, like I say, I mean they're. They've got some very, very powerful interest groups that have got them by the ear and that they're wringing their ears and telling them don't do it. So I'm not going to blame the Māori Party. That's the game. That's the world that they live in, and they know that, you know, and so they play it according to those kind of rules. My view is, hey, aha, rato kia rato. There's a couple of points that I would like to make on that too. Like um, I completely agree that... um, that it is about community resilience and adaptation and change and that we need to do that. That's why we made this documentary and the focus was Māori communities, whether it was going to health organisations, kura, marae, individual whānau and saying, you know, uh, this is what we we have done the research on, this is what we think is a good idea for you to sit around and look at your environment. You know, do you live next to the moana? Do you live in in the ngahere? And how are the impacts going to change your environment, how do you need to change to adapt to that new environment? Um, with the political stuff, I think that whilst you can dig your gardens and get your water tank, um, there's a responsibility. And I think some of those benefits maybe that the Māori Party were looking at is um, I would like to see them helping those Māori communities if, if they can't afford to get enough water tanks and that they get some help from um, I don't know, the, the TAPS program or one of the government schemes, that there'll be housing projects that people learn how to build um, resilient whare that have solar roofs or something, that there'll be benefits that they be... So that 
I think communities need to look at doing what they can for themselves and then identifying how um, either the Māori Party or the national government or any government ministry that has responsibility because, you know, maybe it's um, the health, Ministry of Health, maybe it's the Ministry of Housing, that they get putia or assistance and um, maybe it's just a few hundred dollars a week to, to get um, some young fellows together and skills and learning how to build houses. I, you know, I don't have all the answers, but I think that as communities you can identify what you need and then go to those places and get that help. Um, so I think it's kind of, well, yes, hey, aha, the government's going to do what it wants to do, uh, despite how, however much you, you might disagree with it. Um, but there's some assistance that they can be forced to make um, if they're going to be saying, well, we want some benefits for our people. Well, these are the things we need. Identify them and then say, come on, give us a hand. Um, and, of course, the best way to achieve that is to have a collective voice. You know, if it's just Hineka out there in the wilderness with all her great ideas... Um, you know, who's going to listen to that? I mean, uh, but if it's like thousands of us all standing together and saying, well, you know, climate change is a reality, we need, you know, we need those mm. those programs, um, uh, well, then there's, that's going to be a lot more effective. So um, mm. so I think, once again, it comes down to Māori political unity, and I think that's not necessarily political party unity, but a groundswell of Māori public opinion that's united on, you know, some key issues. I mean, that's how the Treaty of Waitangi was elevated to the top of the political agenda. That's why there's billions of dollars floating around at the moment that iwi have got hold. The only reason that that happened was when Māori people united together with a collective Māori voice and put pressure on the government. So we've done it before in the past. We can do it again in the future. Now, one of the uh, other strategies that you've employed, you have made a documentary here, Aowera, Climate Change in Aotearoa, plus there's a website. Tuanuku.com, yes. Um, the website was launched uh, a few months ago as we were travelling and we have the film for people to download if they can't get a copy in their communities. Um, it's available online to, to download. Um, but also I think there are copies at the TPK offices um, that were sent around the Mōtu. So if you're sort of hearing this and thinking, oh, I'd like to see that and and um, you'd want to be able to share that with your whānau, that online you can download it or watch it. Tuanuku.com. That's T-U-A-N-U-K-U dot com. Tuanuku.com that's our online resource and that's for people to um, for example, download the film. It's available. There's no copyright. You can burn off a few copies, hand it out to whānau. The love. And um, there's updated information as it comes to hand. We're hoping that um, that communities that have great initiatives happening will have a, a page that they can add, you know, so today we're doing this, or, hey, if you're in our area, we're doing a working bee on, I don't know, building a windmill. Whatever is happening, that they will um, share that and um, network with other groups. Um, what else is on there, Mike? Um Yes, there's the film, there's the social networking, there's e-group, there's some e-groups where uh, updates um, and then the facility to link people by email so that you get updates every day on new um, issues of interest or bits of information that might, might be helpful relating to climate change. Um, there's forums, there's some forums, ongoing forums. There's regular news updates and things. Um, there's a link there to the... Uh, New Zealand Met Service for 
uh, extreme weather event warnings that you can get by text or email. As soon as the Met Services issue them, you can link to that site. There's other videos. Um, there's oh, there's, just, there's there's heaps of stuff on there. That's just off the top of my head what I can think of immediately. But yeah, tuanuku.com. Um, we'd like to. People can sign on, um, you know, sign on to become a user uh, of the of the service, and so we encourage people to do that. But we're really interested, as Henneka said, um, we're really interested in people profiling their own activities because in our travels around the Motu, um, we've been travelling for four years around the country on our bus making various films, and we've seen lots and lots of um, quite interesting initiatives that people, are, Māori and Pākehā communities are doing around the country. You know, it might be like tree planting, planting orchards in schools, for example, you know, like planting trees. That might sound a bit ironic coming from a tree assassin like me, that I'm sort of like, um, I'm also a tree hugger when I'm not cutting down pine trees, I'm planting plum trees or, or other things. But, um, you know, there's some some quite interesting um, pro, uh, projects that people are doing. So just a way of sharing those ideas, you know, around communities so you can see what your neighbours are up to and um, maybe... Uh, and and it's also the synergy of bringing people together um, uh, to work on each other's projects. You know, if you know that your iwi next door is about to do something, you can round up a posse of your own whanaunga and, you know, cross the border and go and help them out. And there's been so much competitiveness, I think, in Te Ao Māori in recent times, you know, with mm. we're competing with our neighbours for money, for contracts, for health contracts, for this, that and the other. I think there's opportunities and... Um, that that we need to take, where we turn that around and we don't compete with each other, and we actually go and total with each other, as at, it used to be. As it used to be, and in more more than just words, you know, just beautiful words in the five but we actually practically go and total with each other, and so um, there's lots of opportunities to do things like that. Tēnā koutou katoa, uh, ko Mike Smith ahau, um, te taho toku papa no no ngapuhi, uh, te taho toku mama. Uh, no I'm Justin Murray. This is Tiahika and at our website radioNZ.co.nz forward slash Tiahika, you can access details about their ongoing work on this Kopapa. And while you're there, have a look around our site. There's a photo gallery where you can see images of some of the events we've covered, like the Super City Hikoi in Auckland and the Rodeo and Fielding, as well as you've got the opportunity to sign up to our weekly newsletter. For Robin Smith, learning te reo Māori means a few things. Learning something new, meeting new people and enjoying the whanaungatanga environment. And if his name sounds familiar, that's because we profiled Robin about a year ago on Tahika. He was in town earlier this week, and Justin caught up with him to see how he's going. Kua Robin Smith, ingoa. Kia ora, Robin. Now, Robin, you've been on Tahika before, haven't you? Aye. Aye. Yes. You spoke to Mariah about. Um, in the early stages of, of you learning te reo Māori. Tell us that story once again of how you came to learn te reo Māori. Yes, well, um, uh, early in uh, last year, 2008, uh, there was this uh, uh, leaflet came in the mailbox uh, offering a free course in te reo. And uh, uh, my wife and I had... Uh, had a little uh, 
previous experience uh, when we'd been living in Waikawaiti, uh, where a, a Maori woman offered classes in Maori, and we uh, we both went to, to these uh, classes, uh, but uh, we didn't put the hard work into it as, that we should have to get get as much from it as we could have, and. Uh, um, and then when we, after we moved into Dunedin, my wife uh, uh, got sick. She was diagnosed with Alzheimer's and finally uh, died at the beginning of uh, uh, 2008. So there I was on my own, and here there's this offer came in the, uh, the letterbox, and I thought, well, now's a chance to make up for what I didn't do before and have another uh, go at uh, learning te reo. And so I followed that up, and uh, a great experience to be uh, drawn into this this group uh, in class, and so quickly uh, we felt ourselves uh, being being made part of a fano. We all we all, all felt that we we already belonged together, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, they were so um, uh, encouraging. Uh, you know, our tutors were uh, really good that way, and um, kept kept us going. You know, they they gave us work to do, all right. But yep. uh, it was uh, something that that we uh, they they made it fun. It it was really really great. Yes, and uh, so. Uh, uh, I continued uh, throughout that first year, and it's been a year yeah. so far, Robin. And uh, I'm, I'm, you know, well on in the second year now. Yes, and oh yes, one, one thing uh, uh, they came across. Uh, we, they were introduced to that uh, uh, longest place name oh, in, yeah. in the world, and and of course that reminded me of. Peter Cape's song. <laughs> uh, Peter uh, Cape's song. His 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 song with Tamata Walker Tangihanga, etc., etc., etc. Yes, and uh, I still had uh, a record at home uh, about that, so I I sorted out and uh, played it through a number of times and managed to get down all, all the words of his song. So I'm not familiar with that song, Robin. There was oh. a, is there a... Oh, yes. Yes. Well, uh, P- Peter Cape, uh, he, he was Peter Cape. Quite, quite a popular um, uh, maker of uh, New Zealand songs. And, and this one, of course, made uh, a great thing of this long place name. Have you ever tried to give it a go yourself, Robin? <laughs> the longest place name? Oh, 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 oh yes, yes. Well, um, we found uh, that um, Peter Cape's uh, version, he had actually left out a few syllables <laughs> from the version that we were given in class. For it. But anyway, I, I, I you know, got down all the words and made, uh, made copies of it. And uh, so the next week, I came along and um, said, look, I'll sing this song to you. <laughs> and uh, so uh, I, I did that and 
Oh, they were very taken with this and uh, immediately they took away my copy and had it photocopied so all the class had a copy and I don't, I don't know, for weeks after that, <laughs> every now and again they'd bring it out and we would... I suppose all, you couldn't give us to... a sample, could you, Robin? <laughs> um, see if I, what I can remember now. Um, a joke on a hilltop playing his fruit Cooler than good man, boy, he was beaut, and the thought that he thought in between each toot was Tamata Foka Tanga Hanga Koa Batamate Oh, I'm sorry about that. I'm sorry for putting you on the spot. That's great. I'm afraid my memory's lacking a bit and and I'm afraid that's the, the big trouble I have with, you know, learning te reo, is to get the words to stick in my head. <laughs> yes. So, Robin, can I ask how old you are? Uh, 86, 86 and a half now. <laughs> yes. 86 and a half. Yes. It's, it's great how you are learning te reo Māori at such a later you know, stage of mm. your life. What yes. prompted you to, to take on a, such a new and complex <laughs> language? It's not easy to learn to do. No, no, I know. Well, I, I kept feeling, I suppose, during, during my life, and, you know, we were living in Hamilton. There was Maori folk all around us uh, in that, that area, and... Uh, and um, by that stage, I, I'd uh, retired from full-time parish ministry and I was working in the university library. So I had all the opportunities in the world to, to take up doing something all about Tarao there with the, the Maori Studies uh, And they have the one of the best the real faculties in the country. Yes, yeah. yes. So I, I, I really was, uh, you know, just... Uh, too slow on the job it wasn't to get round to it. Shirley yeah. passed away January mm. of last year, yes. the wife that yes. you decided to, yes. to give it a yes. go. Yes, that's right. Mm. Mm. So, Robin, have you, in your learning environment, have you attended Marae? Have you, um, you know? Yes, yes. Last year we, we had one weekend visit to the Marae um, out at uh, Otakau and... Um, Yes, that that was a a great experience too. Yes, I had been on uh, Marais before. I know um, once, and the, the the library association had had a, a a meeting. We went down to Rotorua, so it's a Marai down there that way. We. Uh, had an experience of spending a weekend at a Marai there. So, Robin, so, you're entering you're entering the second year of your course. Tell us a bit about your course and who is who are your tutors and some of yes. your friends that, that are in the class with you. Yes, yes. Uh, well, um, in in the first year, our tutors were Arana and Tahuri Colette. Yes, and they. Uh, you know, they, they, they were e- excellent, uh, excellent tutors, uh, and there were you know a number of other younger uh, folk too uh, who were helping us. And um, and this year we had um, Hoani. Uh, I, I 
just can't remember his surname offhand. And, uh, and they're all based in Otaku or Dunsan. Oh, oh this, this is in Dunedin. Yes, we, 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 we meet mm. at, uh, at a Maori training centre mm. in uh, Macandrew Road in South Dunedin. You know, they have all sorts of uh, yeah, other courses there, but the te reo is, is done uh, under the Wananga o Aotearoa. And so what kind of things have you learnt, Robin, like, you know, maybe some words that, that you yeah. kind of use um, daily in, in your court at all? Maybe do you use kia ora more? Or, uh... <laughs> oh, yes, well, uh, we, the obvious sort of uh, things like uh, greetings like kia ora, kia ora and uh, um, kākite ano and so on. And... Uh, um, Kate a pay here, Quay. Kate a pay But uh, what I have, have most difficulty with is being able to understand enough of what is said in Te Reo. Uh, it's easier if I've got the text to look at as well. Yes. Uh, but when you're just de- depending on what you hear, it's. <laughs> Yeah, I find it a, a great struggle. Yes, I know sometimes uh, this year they've given us, first of all, you know, we don't have the text at all and we just have to have to listen and they'll read it through for us, uh, you know, three or four times. Uh, and uh, and uh, by, 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 by that, the end, end of that, having hearing the same passage read over, a over and over again, you do begin to, to grasp more yes. of it. Because te reo Māori is a spoken language and the yeah. more you hear yes. it, very mm. true. Yes. So, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm gr- gradually getting a little bit better, but uh, I think it'll be a long time before I can really get uh, engaging easily in conversation in te reo. <laughs> And has this been an avenue for you to meet new people, Robin, uh, that you probably would not have met at all? Well, c- certainly, you know, the other members in, in, in the group, the, oh, it's quite, quite a mixture of people. There are some people with, uh, um, you know, who are Māori or at least partly Māori, but uh, I suppose they're more uh, Pākehā. A lot, lot younger than I, I am, but there are some other, you know, more sort of middle-aged people as, as well. So it's a good mixture. Mm. And so, mm. is this the second and final year, or is there one more year? Oh no, there's another year to, to follow if, if we're and keen you're enough to continue. Oh yes, well I, I want to keep on going with it very much. So yes. Mm. Ngā mihi kia Robin, kia kaha ki i te reo Māori. Yeah, good on you, Robin. One more year to go with your studies. Tauke. Two years ago, I sat in on a conversation between Sir Howard Morrison, Tommy Taurima and Mere Karaka Nārimu. All were receiving awards from Te Waka Toi, the Māori Arts Board of Creative New Zealand, for their work in the entertainment industry. Nārimu and Taurima is composers of Waiata and Morrison for his long-term contribution to the New Zealand music scene.
met this lady for the first time and now I know. Ko marama. Ko marama hau. I ngā mahi o tēnē, ne? And with Eti Nata. See, everything's a revelation. We should know this yesterday and the day before and the, and, and, and the year yeah. before. Yeah. yeah. Our people and the talent, what, what they contributed. They've been camouflaged under the camouflage for so long. What do you mean by camouflage? Well, we haven't seen them come out of it. They haven't been recognised. Oh. So this, so this. And a meeting like this is significant. Yes. Doing that, hey? Yeah. After all, she's a young eighty-five. <laughs> because would it be fair enough to say that um, a lot of Māori musicians, art, and artists? There are a small, well, there, yeah, a small category that mainstream Barkia would have heard of as well. I'm not saying that that's where you glean success or anything, but there are some musicians that cross over. So if you looked at, so for instance, now, you know, everybody in Aotearoa knows who um, Cliff Curtis is or Anika Moore, but very few people would know who Witarina Harris is. Mm. You know, so that there are in some ways artists are either they either identify purely as Māori or they see them as artists that have crossed over. Crossed over. Do you understand what I mean by that? So, for you, for instance, sir, I would, you know, a lot of Pākehā New Zealanders have heard of you, know who you are. Well, he's he's in a category of his own, you know, uh, because and he has a great following of. Balangis, you know, mm. they all go to his funeral because he sings the songs from their era, and you know, because with the the quartet, they promoted a sound and promoted, you know, a society really. Yeah. You know, now, see, as Maoris, we're familiar with each other's works, you know, like Babwehi, you know, we know his caliber, and then of course his sister and brother-in-law dinner and uh, Trevor you know the, their contribution to Māori Tanga or Tāroa is fabulous you know well I know that and so does people who do this kind of thing know that you see but there are other ones coming through as well like their children you know I, I saw that a few years ago you know how you see I asked her earlier, how do my tafiti go in Well, in their day, when they were younger, Hi. to come from Ruatori to Poneke was a tafiti. Mm -hmm. You see? So if you relate that to 21st century, with the IT market, mm. with technology as it was, yeah. as it is, you know, that explains why when, when a lady of 101 dies, like Witarina did, and she lost her sister too, a hinga to a Franci. He went to go my own Yeah. See, she we just buried her on Wednesday, the sister. But they all they all contributed. Yeah. And and mainly here in Ponaki. Before they went home, at 80 years of age. Yeah. Well, see? of course you see, they were the bells <laughs> when the Americans were here. Mm. Oh yeah. During the Second World War. They were the ones that sang and entertained, you know. And had a high time. <laughs> we yep. had them at our, at our home. And mum, of course, 
saying, and Dad promoted, uh, and us kids had to get up and, and we're still half asleep in our pajamas there. And these Americans came up with that song. Maria Elena, you're the yeah. answer to my prayer. Maria Elena, can't you see how much I care? And then they, and then they came back to the house, say, six weeks later, because New Zealand was a staging post to the Pacific. And we would naively ask, well, Mum and Dad would naively ask, oh, how's Tom, you know the boy that said, mm -hmm. oh, we lost him on the beach. You know, it's sad because we yeah. we actually, apart from the men of the same age who were competing for the same woman, I mean, <laughs> we we actually, New Zealanders, especially Maori, we embraced Americans. Yeah. And I still, in my heart, thank them for what's come up with. We're getting more composers in the 21st century. And the festivals that we have, Kapahaka festivals, you always find that they'll find a theme. See, uh, King E. Hucker's name is still around now as part of these presentations. Ngoi And that's good because it's music that will sustain. Yeah. It manifests itself about, above anything else that might have happened yes. in the world. Music will always yes. sustain that's right. the history and the meaning of what, what it is to honour your own. So would it be fair to say that from the past we've um, been influenced by America, English, the Italians from the Second World War, and it's, it's shown in our music, and now you have composers who are more um, entrenched in the Maoris, and that's coming through as well in their composition? We have a young girl, Queenie Weho Reedy. She's a good composer. Yeah. It won't take her long to compose a song. For a, a special, or whatever the, the occasion is. Even today, we were learning one of her songs. She composed for me. But I said, no, never mind me. We think about the past, hating other and all that lot. They are the ones. They are the ones that people remember, not the young ones of today. Oh, she's a good. She will have her place next. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. You know, okay, okay, yeah. 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 And it's pro dummy. prolific stuff too. Of course. That comes from up there. You know, that's still. You don't know anything about Piho Power, do you? No. No, I don't know. No, no. no. <laughs> In fact, I can, re I, I can remember on the Marae, you know, they were coming on and somebody saying, 
How do my day we be has died? <laughs> I heard that too. But when, but when I hear that, I say, well, like, you know, it's got nothing to do with me. I come from Tiaroa. <laughs> <laughs> I was just brought up here. <laughs> yeah, um, I say that all the time. Softly. But I mean, you know. How rude. Oh, yeah, but you can't escape it, eh? You can't escape oh, stuff. But it, it's, leg- it's legend. It's not a myth. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's not a myth. Yeah. <laughs> it's like someone, um, someone Muru, I was in a gathering, we were having a few drinks, and these guys were slinging off at me, and the tower of penny divers. Yeah, well, that's it. And, uh, and then he says, he says, I can't. He said, you're not laughing, someone. He said, why? He said, this fellow calls me Ngati Bow Wow. <laughs> Not you could hear it. As long as it's us, then. Like we have those little digs at each other, yeah. Yeah. but it's when it comes from outside of yeah. Māori Dim where it's, you know, it, it comes from a completely different position than when we're doing it to each other. Howard Morrison, Tommy Taurima, and Mere Karaka Ngarimu in 2007. The queer died last year aged 86. In a few moments we'll be hearing from Reverend Tom Puata who led the funeral service at the Howard Morrison Tangi held earlier this week. Before that, Anaya Hinikamako Anō with this week's Fakatoki as it relates to the documentary she co-directed Her Ao Wera, Climate Change in Aotearoa. That um, together, collectively, we, we are really strong. We know that. The examples in history tell us. And we're within ourselves, if you kind of stand up and shout something in the street, you can be ignored easily. But if you get, like, the foreshore and seabed hikoi, thousands and thousands of our people, with help from um, other sectors of society... Um, that's a force to be reckoned with. And I believe, you know, the legacy of, hist- of our history, like Parihaka, uh, Ratana, Te Koti, it, if you have enough people um, gathered and saying, we need this, we, or we believe this, or we're doing this, then that tawira for the, for the country um, and that example for the world, this, that's what I'm thinking the Greenpeace Party are trying to do with, you know, come on, sign on to that... Um, uh, that idea of 40% and that's great, that's fantastic, I hope they're getting a lot of support, but I'm thinking oh come on, sign on um, get realistic about learning about the issues and, and talking to your whanau and doing things practically in your house, in your community, that's what I think Kia ora, ko ingoa, no taranaki, no whanganui Reverend Tom Puata of St. Faith's Anglican Church at Ohenemutu Rotorua at Sir Howard Morrison's funeral. O tite wahanga mō ngā mihi ki a koutu. Nā te wairua tapu koutu i karanga ki a herimei konei tēnei ata. Te wairua o te aroha. Te wairua o te pauri. Te wairua e hoka mahana nei a tātou i tēnei ata. I ngā rā, a kuhe monei. Nā reira kei te mihi atu ki a koutu. Ngā toenga ngā mōrehu o rātou katoa i takoto pēnei mai, pēnei me tō mātou kau mātou e takoto nei. Hurirau nei te motu, koutura e ngā mate, te hunga tapu a te atua, takoto mai oki oki ai. We heard in the gospel that Jesus asked his disciples, 
Who do people say that I am? They were quick to answer in a misunderstanding sort of way. They replied that the people were saying he was this person, that person, or another person. Then he asked them the most important question that we can ask of anybody of our faith, who do you personally, privately say that he is? And before the shutters all come down and your minds begin to wander to happy days long gone, I'm going to turn that for a moment to who we say Sir Howard Leslie Morrison was. Beautiful music, emotion, the richness of the use of words has been poured out on Te People have come from far and wide to pay their own respects to him. If you were to ask each and every one of them, who do you say Sir Howard Leslie Morrison was? Each of them would have a very different idea. Because each of us have known him in different phases, in different times and in different places, doing different things, I'm sure. But if we collectively cast our memories back, we will know that long before any of us knew him, he began his journey. He began a journey from the United Kingdom, from Europe and from Hawaii. And it was a miracle that in 1935 or thereabouts, at the time that he was born, he was the fulfilment of all that whakapapa, of all that love of a man for a woman over all those centuries, over all those generations, through all of those cultures, through all of their ups and downs, he fulfilled it the moment he was born. He went on to live the life that was given to him and the life which he and his family carved out for him. He went on to become something of a hero in show business in New Zealand and elsewhere. He struck down the boundaries between Māori party singers and professional paid for services entertainers. <laughs> he introduced us to the spectacle of Māori equally capable of singing any style of music, music they chose. He introduced us to the idea here and many others, introduced us to the idea that we can sing. Lately I'd have to say we used to be able to sing. <laughs> But so many of those who have come over these recent days came because the music of that era touched so many of our lives and marked significant occasions. Weddings, birthdays, funerals, cream check day. It was common for us then to sing together as a people and as family. It is not so common, I suspect, in these days. Long before he was who he became, over these 70 and odd years, he was the work of his parents and his people. They brought him, they ushered him into this world, gave him a life, and I'm certain said silently, we have given you life, now live it.
I am convinced that that is what God, in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, would have us all do. Live the life that we deserve. We have been a long time coming here. We will be a short time here. Eternity is equally great. Christ talks about life, eternal life. And so we pray that all that Howard has meant to us, all our prayers to God for his well-being beyond what we see and understand, will be granted because we loved him. And yet our love should not be buried with him this morning or this afternoon. The love that we reserved for him and for his family should be carried on into those around us in our own lives, in our communities and in our nation. So Howard, your life is done. Thank you for sharing the stage with us. Amen. Reverend Tom Porter at the funeral service for Sir Howard Morrison. Hoki mai anō a wiki e teiwi. Because we'll be profiling the career and work of Te Farihuia Moroi, one of the prime Te Reo Māori exponents we're lucky enough to have in this country. He recently received a major award from Te Wakatoi. And I'm in Nelson visiting an area that has been set aside for the burial of whenua, or the placenta, that feeds a baby when it's in the womb. That's because Māori plays significance on placenta in that it ties a person to that particular piece of land. Hence the reason it's called whenua, which means land. So the question is, how does that work if you don't whakapapa to the area you are burying the placenta in? Before we close this week's broadcast of Te Ahika, our thoughts go out to our whanaunga, i te moana nui ākiwa. He mihi ki ngā kai kōrero i tēnei wiki. Ki ngā hoa mahi, ngā kai rā wikiwiki mihini i ngā mihi. Mai te whānau a Te Ahika ki a tātou katoa. Mauri ora. Mauri ora.